Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. In 2 Kings chapter 1, or chapter 2, we saw the fact that there was a city that needed revival. A city that needed revival. Today, I want to share the first part of a message where it says an army that needs a revival. You say, well, what does an army have to do with us? Well, one of those songs just told us something about an army, amen? And I hope you know that you're in the army of God, amen? The Holy Spirit of God fills you and you became a part of his force that is to make a difference in this world, to shine the light in the midst of the darkness. And the great thing about it is, as that song said, we've already won, amen? We know know the reality of the victory that we've already won. But in the midst of it, there's an army here who needs revival. And maybe our army, I think so, maybe our army of God, maybe we need a fresh touch of God and we need a revival as well. Here in 2 Kings chapter 3, I'm going to tell you a story and give you the setting of the story, and then we'll pick up in the passage. It is a time when a new king has come to Israel. His name is Jehoram. Jehoram is the son of Ahab, Ahab and Jezebel, who had ruled at one time. And then his brother Ahaziah had also ruled for a short time, and he had died. And now Jehoram, who was the son of Ahab and Jezebel, He has become king over Israel. Now, the fact that he was the son of Ahab and Jezebel tells you this, that he didn't didn't grow up in a family that loved God. He didn't grow up in a family that worshiped Jehovah. He grew up in a family that was godless primarily and worshiped false god called Baal. And that's what he grew up in. That's what he he was taught. Now, whenever he became king, he wasn't quite as wicked as his father and his mother, but he still practiced ungodly practices and didn't have a relationship with holy God. But he has now become the king of Israel, the new king in Israel. Because of that, the Moabites who lived in Moab, the Moabites had been in servitude to the Israelites for some time. They had been paying a tax. The tax was 100,000 lambs a year and 100,000 wool from rams a year. That's a lot of sheep, isn't it? But that was the tax they had been paying for all of these years. Well, Whenever the king Mesha found out that Jehoram was a new king in Israel, he decides it's a time to break loose, and we're not going to do that servitude anymore. We're not going to pay that tax. So they rebelled against Israel, and they basically said, we're not going to pay that tax anymore. So it's left now to Jehoram to decide what's he going to do. Is he going to let them get away with that, or is he going to go and to bring them back in servitude? And it requires of him that he's going to have to go and do battle against the Moabites, the land of Moab. He's going to have to do that. So he musters an army together and brings them together to go and to do battle. Now, I want you to just bring up that map. I have you a map. Y'all see that map back there? If you bring up the map for me, hopefully we can bring it up. Let me know if the map gets up there. Point. Say the map's up there. All right. But anyway, in relationship to that, whenever they would have mustered that army, Whenever you see the map, you can see that Israel is north of Moab, and what they should have done, been able to go from Mo- to the, to the, above the Dead Sea and down to Moab to attack them that way. But Jehoram decides he's not going to do that, but rather he wants to go a different way. He wants to go through the land of Judah. Remember, that was the divided kingdom, Israel and Judah, but they were still Israelites. You see it right here? Okay. 
You, you see where Israel is and the yellow right in the middle? You see Judah on the left-hand side. You see Edom below that. You see Moab in the green, you see? So all Israel, Jehoram had to do was to come down towards the south and attack Moab from the north. But that was the most populated area and the most obvious way that he would attack, so he didn't want to do that. What he decided to do was he, he spoke to Je- Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah at that time, and he asked Jehoshaphat if they could pass through the land of Judah and go south. At the same time, as he's passing through the land of Judah, he invites Jehoshaphat to come and to be with him as they go and do this battle against the Moabites. Well, Jehoshaphat knew that it was a good thing for them to put the Moabites in in their place. So Jehoshaphat says, okay, I will come. Not only that, as they make their way south, the king of Edom also joined because they were in servitude to Judah. And whenever Judah basically said, you're going to join in the fight, they joined in as well. So there are three kings, all right? Three kings and three armies, the Israelite army, the Judah army, and the the king of Edom and his army, all three of those are gathered together, and they're going to do battle. They're going to do battle against the Moabites. They're going to come around the land of Edom, and they're going to go up to the south side and attack Moab that way. You got the picture? All right, that's the picture. Now, let's pick up and begin to read there in verse number 7. Then Jehoram went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, the way of the wilderness of Edom. That's what we're talking about. All right. Now notice something. Who is it that makes this decision? It's Jehoram. He says, okay, we're going to go up by the way of the wilderness. You'll need to circle that word, the wilderness of Edom. We're going to go that way. Now, go on and read with me. It says, uh, let's see, by the wilderness, verse 9. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they made a circuit of seven days' journey. In other words, they didn't just go the shortest route right around the bottom of um, of the Dead Sea. But rather than that, they decided they would go further down into the wilderness. They didn't want Moab Moab to be able to attack them or to come in in a surprise. So they go way down into Edom, a seven-day circuit down there. But look what happens. They've got a problem here. It says, and there was no water for the army or for the cattle that followed them. That was the problem. The problem is they went out into the wilderness and, and not knowing there hadn't been any rain out in the wilderness, so there's no water for them to, to have in the wilderness. And they've got an army out here, not only an army, they've got all the animals that go with the army, the horses as well as cattle. Somebody said, well, why are the cattle going with the army? Because that's what they fed the army with. They brought the cattle along with them. They didn't have a deep freeze or have some way to preserve the meat, so they brought the cattle with them. So to feed the army, they would slaughter the cattle. So they're bringing all of these with them through the land of Edom, seven days' journey in the wilderness, and they don't have any water. There is a problem. There is a problem. And they've got such a problem that they're going to have to have a miracle of God to revive them. Now, Here's some answers to some questions that I want us to pose today, all right? Here's the, here's the first problem. How do you view a problem? Do, do any of you ever have any problems? If you don't have any problems, you can leave. We're talking about problems today. Have you ever had any problems, all right? All of us have. Problems bring about situations where we need revival sometimes, right? 
Well, here's the question. How do you view a problem? Well, we've got this problem. I want you to see, first of all, how Jehoram viewed the problem. Look there in verse number 10. You need to underline it. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. Here is Jehoram. Now remember, Jehoram is the godless man. He has no relationship with God. He doesn't walk with God. He doesn't fellowship with God. He doesn't read God's word. He hadn't been taught about God. He is a godless man who has no relationship with God. Whenever a problem comes, what does he say is the source of the problem? Or more specifically, who does he say is the source of the problem? He says God is the source of the problem. The Lord has led us three kings, the Lord has led us three kings down here together so that the Moabites might destroy us. Led us in this direction, brought us down here to Edom. We're out here in the wilderness where there's no water. And he's done that so that he can turn us over to the Moabites. Now, I want to ask you a question. Go back up there in verse number eight. Whenever Jehoshaphat asked, which way shall we go? Who was it that answered by the way of the wilderness of Edom? Who was it? It was Jehoram. So who was it that made the decision that they're going to go by the way of Edom? Jehoram. But all of a sudden, when they go by the way of the wilderness of Edom, and there's nothing up there, there, there's there's, there's no, no water for them. Whenever that happens, who does he want to blame? He blames God. See, people without a relationship with God and people who don't know the true God, their view of problems is it's always God. God did it. God caused it. God's the blame for it. They're always wanting to blame God. When many times they have made the decision. They're the ones who decided what they're going to do and where they're going to do and how they're going to do it. And when they laid out all of their plans... And it doesn't work out like they want it to. And they run across problems, which we will encounter in life. They want to blame God. Have you ever met anybody like that? You don't have to go far, my friend. You don't have to go far. You don't have to, you don't have to listen very long to find out that there are people everywhere who want to curse God, use God's name in vain, and blame God for everything. All of their problems is because of God. They want to blame God. That's what godless people do. That's people who don't know the Lord God. That's what they do. But what, how how do people, or what do people do have a relationship with God when they encounter a problem? Or, Or what should we do when we have a problem, if we have a relationship with the Lord God? Well, the answer to that is is this man named Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah, was a godly man. He had a relationship with the Lord God. He prayed to God. He sought to walk with God. He's totally different from Jehoram. Totally different. He has a relationship with God. So when this problem comes, they both face the same problem. They got their armies out here and no way to get water to their armies and and, and they don't know what they're going to do. Same problem. What does Jehoshaphat say? Look what he says then there in verse number 11. Look, listen. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not a prophet of the Lord there, here, that we may inquire of the Lord by him? 
What was Jehoshaphat's answer when you got a problem? We need to find a word from God. (laughs) We need to get a word from God. Anytime we have a problem, who has the answer? God has the answer. Let me tell you something about God. God has the answer before you ever have a problem. I told you this before, and it's it's just the reality and the truth. Most of us think that when we've got a problem, we pray and ask God to create the need, the, the, the provision for our problem. Oh, God, we know it snuck up on you. And, oh, God, we know you didn't realize it was going to happen. But, but, but it snuck on both of us. We got a problem, God. And I need for you to show up and create some provision to meet my needs and to settle my problem. That's not the way it works, my friend. God already has the need before you ever have, has the provision before there's ever the need. God already has the answer before there's ever a problem. Nothing sneaks up on God. And because nothing sneaks up on God, if you'll get that in your heart and mind, when you face a problem, where you go to is to God. And that's what Jehoshaphat said. Hey, we need a word from God. We, we need, where is there a prophet from God who can give us a word from God to help us to know what God can do and will do in the midst of this problem? Who is it and where can we find a man of God? Now, hold on a second. You're not really expecting a man of God to be around there. Where are they? In the wilderness. The prophets of God didn't just travel with the armies. See, you wonder where they're going to find a man of God. But look what happens. Look what happens. And one of the king, verse 11, one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Elisha, there's that man of God, the son of Shaphat is here, who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. He was the servant of Elijah. Then the mantle of Elijah fell on him and a double portion of God's spirit fell on him. You remember that, don't you? He says, Elijah is here. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. Wow. Those two verses are very important. I don't know if you realize how important those verses are. First of all is this. Why in the world is Elisha down there? Why Elisha, Elisha didn't live in the land of Moab. He, he, he didn't live in the land of Edom right there on the border of Moab. He didn't live there. You know where he would live? He would have lived up in Israel. He first lived at Jericho, and then above Jericho, you see Samaria. It's got a little star by it. That's the capital. He lived in Samaria, and then he resided sometime in Shunem with a Shunammite woman. You remember that? But he spent most of his time in Israel, north Israel. He would have had no reason to be down there at Edom except for one reason. You know what? God told him, you need to get down there because they're going to need you. You need to get down there because they're going to need a word from me. You need to go down there. So that doesn't happen. Oh, it doesn't? It doesn't? Do you remember in the book of Acts whenever God told Philip to get up and leave the revival he was in to go outside, to go to the desert, to a road in the desert so he could encounter the Ethiopian eunuch? And he sent him out there wondering, what in the world am I doing out here in the middle of a desert? He encounters the Ethiopian unit, leads him to Christ, baptizes him. That Ethiopian goes back and begins to share his faith, faith in Africa. God knows where he needs his men to be, and he tells them to be. So miraculously, somehow, God has told Elisha, before there's ever the need, before there's ever the realization of the problem, God has told Elisha, get down there because they're going to need a word from, from me. I want to tell you something. Isn't it wonderful to know that God is always working ahead of us to make sure he is available and his word is available to give to us in our time of problems. 
have to worry about that. You don't have to wonder about that. He's always going to have a word for you and make that word available to you in your time of problems. The first thing you need to do, not the last thing you need to do when you've got a problem is be like Jehoshaphat and said, man, we need a word from God. And in that day, the word from God was by the man of God. We need a word from God. And God will show the way that there is a word, and he has a word. Thank God you have this Bible in your hands. You know what this is? This is the word of God. It doesn't contain the word of God. It is the word of God from cover to cover. From Genesis to Revelation, it's the word of God. You don't have to question. You don't have to study it. You don't have to defend it. You just have to believe it. Amen? You just have to read it and receive it, and God's word is available to you. When you've got a problem, find a word from God. He has a word. That will do miraculous things. It's amazing what the word of God will do. Well, Jehoshaphat says, the word of the Lord is with him. I can't think of a, be- I can't think of a better testimony or epitaph for a man of God. I would love for that to be written across my gravestone one day. Wouldn't you like to be- that the word of the Lord was with him? That the word of the Lord was in him? And and Jehoshaphat says, hey, bring him. Let's go see him because the word of the Lord's with him. What he says, we can bank on. Now, I want you to see, I want you to see Elisha's response. Listen to Elisha's response to these men. Verse 13. Now, Elisha said to the king of Israel, what do I have to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother." And the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three together to give them into the hand of Moab. (laughs) Listen to what what the the prophet says. Elisha looks at Jehoram and he says, He says, What are you you here for? What are you here for? What do I have to do with you? You've never called on me before. You've never asked for God's word before. Matter of fact, he says this, Why don't you go... And you get your word from the prophets of your mama and your daddy. Now, you know the mama and daddy, don't you? They were who? Ahab and Jezebel. Do you remember how successful those prophets were at Mount Carmel? You remember how successful they were? Do y'all remember that Bible study? It was Elijah, not Elisha, that was on Mount Carmel. But there was that contest that was going to happen. Well, who is really God? And here is Elijah by himself along with 400 prophets of Baal. And they're going to call on God. And the God who answers by fire is the real God. And they call for hours, those 400, and can't get a spark. And all he does is to pray a simple prayer and the fire of God comes down. See, Ahab had to understand just what Israel understood is that Baal is no God. Baal is a false God. And he is no God. He has no power. He can't do anything. And so what Elisha says to Jehoram, why don't you go call on the prophets of your mama and daddy? Why don't don't you go let that God that you serve bring about the answer to your problem? Could I ask you a question? It's the very question that Jehoshaphat, or that that, uh, Elisha was asking Jehoram. Can the God you serve, can the God you serve, hold on a second. Can the God you serve 
bring solution to your problems? You say, well, I worship the Lord God. Do you? Do you worship the big G or do you sometimes worship the little G? And I'm here to tell you, if you're worshiping some little G's out there in your life, they're not going to be able to have any answer to your problem. You'll come up empty. Little G's have no answer to problems. And Jehoram, whenever he was confronted by Elisha, instead of going to that God he knew was no God, what do he do? He, he gives the same testimony. Oh, it's just the Lord... Lord brought us out here just to turn us into, give us the hands of Moab. Once again, what's his? Blame God. Blame the real God because your little God can't do anything. And every problem is from God. So we can be hurt, hindered, bad things come from the real God. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I'm so glad that the story continues, amen? I'm so glad Jehoshaphat was there because listen to what happens. Listen to what he, uh, Elisha says to him. He says this in verse 14, listen. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, that godly man, I would not look at you or see you. Well, aren't you glad Jehoshaphat was there? If there's one decision Jehoram made that was a smart decision, was pick up Jehoshaphat on the way down there, amen? And he said, I wouldn't pay a bit of attention to you in any way except Jehoshaphat is here, but because he is a man who walks with God and who fears God and who believes in God, I will give you a word from God. I will give you a word from God. Then something really neat happens here. I want you to notice it. Please don't miss it. Whenever this word of God comes, when this word of God, notice how it comes. Okay, all you music people, all you music people, listen. You're going to feel good today. You're going to feel good. Listen to verse 15. He says, but now bring me a minstrel, somebody who plays music. And it came about when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of trenches. When did the word of the Lord come to Elisha? When the music played. When the music played. Play that the minstrel play. And when the music began to play, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. And he says, thus saith the Lord. Music is important in the walk of God and worship of God and receiving a word from God. I hope you understand that when we come up here, this is just not preliminary time. This is preparation time. Amen. We're up here singing and worshiping God to plow our fallow ground, to open up our hearts and for the word of God to become alive and real to us. That's what music is all about. And we're supposed to be singing and praising God. And whenever you start singing and praising God, no matter what you sound like, you're going to open up that fallow heart and receive a word from God and bless God. It's pretty great when it happens. Amen. In a few weeks, I'm going I'm to talk a couple of weeks about revival and music. Revival and music. 
and let you see in the word of God all that it says about music and how it revives our heart. But right here we know that before Elisha received a word from God, he said, let the minstrels play. And when the minstrels began to play, the word of the Lord came to him. I, when I study, when I study, I put earphones on because I hear, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious about things. Are y'all, y'all that way? If I hear something, I'm wondering, what is that? What's that happening? Something moving over here, I wonder what's going on over there. Some people call it nosy. I just call it inquiring. What do you call it? (laughs) Inquiring minds will. So I put earphones on when I study. That way it blocks out all all the music, all the the rattling, and and I just hear music and and God's music in my ear. and, And it puts me in a different zone. Puts me in a place where I can hear I can hear the voice of God in a in a very unique way. I challenge you to do that. I challenge you to do that. Get along with God and and listen to godly music that honors Him and, and that appeals to your spirit and massages your heart. And you might hear some things you've never thought that you would ever hear before. Music played, thus saith the Lord. Now, notice what notice what his his word is, and we'll be finished here till next week. But notice what it says. In verse 16, it says, and he said, thus says the Lord, and he gives them a command. Listen, this is important. Make this valley full of trenches. Make this valley full of trenches. And thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you shall drink both you and your cattle and your beast." And this is but a slight thing in the sight of the Lord. He shall also give the Moabites into your hand. Thus says the Lord. First thing is a command. Listen to me now. If you miss anything, do not miss this. We only got about a few minutes and we'll be finished. Listen, do not miss this. He says that here's the command. I want you to go out there and I want you to dig trenches in this valley. Now, the valley is basically between right there at that border of Moab and Edom. It is right below that border is where it is in the valley where they are. They're starved to death. They need water. Without water, they're not going to have the strength to go and to do battle. They're needing for God to show up and to do something. And this is what he says. What you need to do is get out there and dig trenches. Most of us in the south, we'd call it ditches. Amen? So, so here's what they said. You got to dig ditches. To receive the blessing. Okay, you got it? You got to dig ditches to receive the blessing. What does he mean by that? Well, he says, tomorrow a miracle is going to happen. A miracle is going to take place. There's going to be water that runs in this valley. Water is going to be running across this valley. You're not going to see the wind and you're not going to see any rain. Boy, that's going to be an unusual How do you usually get water in the valley? You see rain. The rains come. He said, there's going to be no wind and there's going to be no rain. But tomorrow, the water will come and fill this valley. The water will come and fill this valley. The valley of the wilderness. The valley of the desert. It's going to come and fill this valley. And you might want, how could that happen? We were, we were in Israel a few years ago, 
And we were down at the Dead Sea at Masada, and they gave us the information that, that a total rainfall of this part of Israel is about two inches a year. Two inches a year. We're almost getting blown off Masada because it's raining and the wind's blowing. And our bus, when we come out of Masada to go back towards Jericho and back towards Jerusalem, there is a flood of water crossing the highway that we have to sit there. They had to bring tractors to push it out of the way. We're watching this water flow, and it's going all through here, and it's going all in the Dead Sea. You just see where it's filling up the Dead Sea, and that's moving. Get two inches a year. Let Amos's go to Israel. We get a flood. Amen? <laughs> we can go anywhere. We, it's going to be abnormal wherever we go. All right? So two inches, we see a flood. Let me tell you something. All God had to do is let it rain just north of there. And he would fill that valley full of water. They'd never see it. They'd never see the rain. They'd never see the wind. But the water would come. Now, here's the key. You got to dig ditches. If you don't dig the ditches, then when the water comes across that valley and there's no ditches or trenches that are dug, that water will pass from one side of the valley to the other side of the valley and will not be captured and you'll miss the blessing. So dig the trenches and dig the ditches so when the water comes, it will be held captive and it will be a blessing that you might drink and your cattle might drink and your beast might drink and the miracle will happen there in the valley of Edom. But you got to dig the ditches. Hold on a second. So what's that got to do with us? We got water. Hold on a second. If we want to experience revival and we're praying, God, do a fresh work in our lives and send your spirit in a mighty way. If we really want that to happen and we're really expecting God to send his life-giving water and we're expecting him to fill our desert land with water. You know what God's saying to you and me? Where are you digging your ditch? Where are you digging your ditch? Where are you digging your trench? What do you want God to do? When you're saying, praying for revival, what is that, that going to do for you? What is there something that God's going to take away out of your life that shouldn't be there? What's God going to add to your life that needs to be there? How is God going to meet your needs? All kinds of problems and all kinds of needs that God can meet. Anything from financial needs to relationship needs to whatever health needs. God can meet any of those needs and all of those needs. But the question is, what do you want God to do? It's not enough just say, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. How's the Lord going to bless you? And what are you praying for? Lord, this is something in my life right here, something I need in my life. And if revival comes and the water flows, I want to catch the blessing right here. I want to catch that blessing right here. Have you been that honest? You been that open? See, you got to dig some ditches. You got to dig some ditches waiting to catch the blessing. That God's going to send. He's asking of that. He's asking you. He's asking me. And you know what? A, A beginning place is what problems are you facing? What problems are you facing? That's a good place to start. Of where you need him to show up. But you know what God says? I love the way God says things. Listen to what he says right there. He says in verse 18. And this is but a slight thing. In the sight of the Lord, he shall also give the Moabites into your hand. God's going to do a miracle. He's going to send water in a, in a, in a wilderness valley without any rain, without any wind blowing. He's going to send this water down here. It's going to be a miracle. And God said, that ain't nothing. <laughs> That's nothing. 
That's just a little slight thing. He's also going to give the Moabites into your hand. Wasn't that the ultimate goal? Hey, wasn't the ultimate goal to what? To, to win the battle. To go to the war to win the battle against the Moabites. But listen, listen. He didn't say, you're going to fight the fight, you're going to win the fight. He didn't say that. He said, he's going to give the Moabites into your hand. In other words, he's already telling them that I'm going to carry the fight. And the Moabites are just going to be laid in your hands. The rest of the story is what God does. The rest of the story is a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous truth about the cross, about Jesus, about life-giving water, and what the blood of the cross was all about. Marvelous story whenever we see the answer. But, but he said, dig the ditch, believe me, and even the greater victory is coming. The Moabites will be in your hand. What about you, friend? How do you face your problems? Who do you look to? Who do you blame? And are you looking for a word from God? That's important truth. And then, what God asks of them and God asks of us, are you willing to dig a trench? Are you willing to dig a ditch? You know what? That takes work. Y'all dug a ditch lately? Most of you ain't dug a ditch in your lifetime. I'm not talking with a backhoe. I'm talking about a shovel. You know, one of them little things got a shovel on the end of the thing. They didn't have backhoes back then. It's work. It's work. Do you realize that, that it's work whenever you have to examine your heart, you examine your life, and you realize what you need? You realize what your family needs? You realize what our church needs? So that you can dig a trench and you can name it and say, this is what it is, Lord. And when you send revival, when you send that miracle, that'll be met. That'll be done. And you'll get the glory for it. Amen. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series Jesus said I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world you will have trouble I have overcome the world we can help you know the one who can bring you peace find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.